Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Charlotte. You guys can have a seat. There is a handout under your seat, or there should be somewhere near you, and if um, you are over at the tables and don't have one, you can snag one from some of the empty chairs there. Um, And this is just there if you want to take notes, want to make sure that you can um, follow along or even take home with you the important things that we talk about this morning. Before we get there, if I can just give us a second to sort of align our hearts to this moment. Um, And so if you just want to close your eyes, you can lay your hands open if you want. And um, as you breathe in, I want you to say in your head or whisper, Abba, and as you breathe out, I belong to you. So to breathe in, Abba, I belong to you. Do that a few more times. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the truth that is in your word. And I ask now that your Holy Spirit would make a pathway for our heart and our mind and our physical bodies to connect to you this morning. We release all of that to you. We remind ourselves, Abba, Father, we belong to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're a week, over a week into Lent, which began on February 26th. And Lent, if you don't know this, most many do, is a historical practice across the church and across denominations across the world that help us enter into a time of preparation as we head towards Good Friday and Easter. It's really about preparing your heart for remembrance of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. I'm just curious this morning, how many of you in the room are doing some kind of Lenten practice this year, whether it's fasting or a prayer group, some kind of Lenten reading? There's a few hands going up. Yes, may the power be with you. God bless you, whatever you gave up this, this Lenten season to remember Jesus. Um, Lent is really a season of repentance is what it comes down to. 
And this is a holy pattern designed to help our hearts and our minds return to our true home. To remind us again what the good news is about the life of Jesus, why his death mattered, and why his resurrection is so powerful. Lent helps us remember that, and it's also an opportunity to reflect and enter into repentance with Jesus. Repentance, the idea of metanoia, which is the Greek word in the New Testament, really means an interchange of heart. And there's even a physical picture that sometimes is described with that, where you're literally turning from one thing into another. It's like a physical changing of your mind, changing of the way you live. The interesting thing is in Hebrew, the word is teshuva, which means to return home. To return home. So when you think about repentance, turning from one thing into another, you're actually reorienting your heart to its true home, which is God, right? More than likely, across this room, in the last year, your identity has taken some hits along the way. Sometimes in ways we're not even aware of, we don't even know. It's so important to remember that repentance is an active part of following Jesus because our identity takes those hits again and again and again. It becomes paramount that we learn how to repent and turn our, our heart back towards our true home. Lent is basically a rhythm in our lives that can give us the space to examine this, to help us remember once again what that's about. We've been talking a lot about contending patterns over the last six, nine months. And contending patterns are really a way to fight through the discontent in our lives and make space for God to hear, to hear God and to be with God. That's through prayer, alone or with other people, reading the word, going to church on Sundays is a contending pattern. Not everybody in the world does this on Sunday mornings the way you are here. Emmanuel journaling, being in the word, discipleship groups, personal corporate worship, these are all contending patterns. You're stepping out of the way of the world into the way of Jesus and making space for God to speak to you. Today, the idea that I'm coming to you with is the idea of holy patterns. And what I would define holy patterns is repentance. So we're going to look at this passage this morning and identify some ways that we see Jesus showing us how to repent, showing us how to engage with the voice of the enemy in our lives in a really practical way. Holy patterns are an invitation from God to submit the things to him that numb us, distract us, devour our souls, and keep us living in an orphaned or slave spirit. They help us, these patterns help us reignite our true identity as an adopted child of God. It is so important. I want to make sure you hear this this morning. Your ability, my ability to live in the identity of an adopted child of God and securely attached to him in our relationship has to be stronger than the lures of all the things around us, our appetites, our need for approval. 
and our ambitions and things that harass us on a daily life. It's this idea that this life in Jesus has to be stronger than this life in the world if we're going to navigate life with Jesus in this world. So, the idea of holy patterns is really choosing a life of repentance on a regular basis. Returning our heart towards home. Allowing ourselves to name and attend to the harassment and accusations that come against our souls. By cleaning out the clutter, making space to live more fully as God's child. Holy patterns, repentance, lead us to an active, alive, aware, developed person in the Holy Spirit. I want to ask us this morning, what are the things keeping you from experiencing the fullness of your adoption in Christ or your life as a beloved? What habits or behaviors do you have that numb your soul to his presence or deafen your ears to his voice? We're going to try to name some of those things this morning as we look at the life of Jesus in Luke 4. Before we get too far into that, I do want to name something for us that can, can come with the idea of holiness or repentance or sin. We have to name sort of the religious spirit that might have roots in us or even the historical pain we might have um, in our church histories with the words repentance and um, sin. That exists in the world. Those words have been abused so much to the point that it's really hard to even use them now. It's really hard to figure out how to communicate the gospel and not use the word sin and repentance and God's holiness. I understand if that's you this morning. I grew up the first half of my life in the Catholic faith. So throughout my elementary years, I went to the Catholic church, and in the Catholic church, everything's holy. Like, you walk into that building and you're greeted with holy water. Like, there's nothing in that faith that isn't deemed holy. As a teenager, I began following Jesus with my life. Started going to a Baptist church, little tiny non-denominational church out by the legends, which is a miracle that I even made my way to Jesus. But I stepped into that environment out of the Catholic church, and I learned through youth group, many of you will have had this experience at some point, <laughs> that holiness and pursuing God meant getting rid of everything in my life that had any resemblance of the world. Throwing away my secular music, not reading books, Larissa's nodding her head with me. I've heard of youth groups that like burn that stuff. <laughs> John, actually, thank you. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things that that came with that, that I was a little bit perplexed and confused coming from, like, everything is holy to this bizarre, like, the, the thing in the Catholic Church, if you come from the Catholic faith, in church, everything is holy. Outside of church, most things are permissible. Like, honestly, that's kind of how that plays out. And now I'm in this environment where it's like, burn everything from the world. Don't let it have any part of your life. Now, I'm going to just caveat that with saying sometimes there are necessities in that. Sometimes that's necessary to have that kind of pattern or rhythm or giving those things up in your lives. 
the funniest story I can think of as a teenager. So my dad remarried when I was a preteen, like 13. And there, I had three stepsisters. We were all in our preteen teenager years, which I sometimes tell my dad and stepmom, like, you guys are crazy. That's like the worst time to, <laughs> to blend a family together. Um, but one of the new rules that we had, my stepmom was a believer. That's how my dad and I came to faith. One of the rules we had as teenagers is that we couldn't listen to anything but Christian and country music. Why, why country music fit into that, I don't know. Like, if you really listen to it, how did that sneak in there? So when we bought our cars as teenagers, we started driving. <laughs> we tuned all of our radio stations to country and Christian music. But you better believe that we were in the cars by ourselves without our parents alone or with one another, our friends, we were listening to everything else under the sun. The real trouble came was when we forgot to change the radio stations back. That's where the trouble came. So I just say this to you. I give this example to say I identify if there's weirdness or pain or like funky things attached to the idea of repentance, um, fasting, you know, ridding our lives of the things that really hold us back from God's presence. I get it. I really do. And I think there's a way over that hurdle that does not have to keep us from this conversation this morning. As we look at Luke 4, a couple of things to know about this passage. The first, in chapter 3, Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. God's voice audibly says over Jesus, you are my son, my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So we have this experience with Jesus here where the voice of his father is literally naming his identity, confirming who he is. And it's not about what he's about to do. It has nothing to do with that. It's just you, you are loved and you bring me great joy. From that place, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. It's worth noting that there's lots of different ways to read this passage. Some theologians read it as a metaphor. Some say it actually happened. One of my favorite theologians is um, Tim Mackey with The Bible Project. He's the one that creates a lot of the videos and content with our Bible reading. And he says, actually, it's both. He says, Jesus is replaying Israel's 40-year journey through the wilderness where they failed to trust God's leading and provision. Jesus successfully resisted temptation, and it solidified his identity as a son of God who came to carry Israel's story forward. We watch Jesus demonstrate a way of life, calling on the very words of his father and his identity to combat the challenges and the lies that the enemy was bringing against him. What we witness in the desert is an assault on Jesus' identity. The phrase that gets used two out of the three times is, if you are the son of God. That phrase is actually really important because that's an identity attack. If you are the son of God, then you will turn these stones into bread. It's really not all that different from what we experience in our own lives. Sometimes it's so sneaky, we don't even know it's happening. We don't even know it's there. Jesus models for us the importance of our identity in times of challenge, in times of temptation, in times where things are being called 
and acute when we're being accused. As we look at this scripture, we're going to find three sections of temptation that Jesus encountered that are very common to our human experience. And that's what you'll see on your paper there. That little chart, I just made sure to put those there so you can follow along. Verses 1 and 2 say this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all, nothing all that time and became very hungry. It's so important to identify, just in those two little verses, that Jesus, by not eating, by fasting, really entered into our human experience. By doing that, he became vulnerable. In the same way that when we attempt to fast, we're vulnerable. Weaknesses are present. Somebody's going to offer you a loaf of bread three days into a fast, and you're like, yes and amen, I'll take it. Right? Our hunger gets us. So I think it's important to recognize in Jesus fasting in this moment, he was actually connecting with our humanness. He was making himself humble and allowing himself to connect with our experiences and our weakness when facing the enemy. Verses 3 and 4, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. No, Jesus says, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. The first and easiest thing that's attacked is his hunger, his appetite. It's the like most simple, I'm just going to slide right on in there with, really, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread and eat. Why are you going hungry? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. All, in all of these passages that he quotes to the devil in this passage come from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8, which are paramount core passages to the life of a Jewish person. So he's calling on the history of Israel, pulling strength from the truth that was in God's word for him at that time. Appetite is what this is about here. Appetite is about satisfaction. We tend to believe the lie, I will never have enough. So we have to ask ourselves, in our appetites, what am I consuming to feel satisfied or at peace? What is the fear that's motivating me towards this appetite? You might ask, what are the appetites in life? It can be anything from TV, movies, shopping, spending, sugar, food, alcohol, sex, pornography, magazines, books, social media, internet, or knowledge, working out, podcasts. They can range from mild habits to full-blown addictions. That range is huge, right? Even this week, I sent a podcast. I'm notorious for doing this. <laughs> notorious for sharing podcasts with people. Those of you that have received them from me, you're welcome. Um, but I sent one to some ladies in our neighborhood this week about repentance. 
And ironically, one responded back, oh my gosh, I really want to listen to this, but I'm fasting from podcasts for Lent. And I was like, of course. Sorry to be your temptation in this moment. But I love that she identified that that was an appetite in her life, that that was something that was keeping her from experiencing the fullness of God or whatever the story might be there, her submitting that to God. Appetite, my friend Mike Breen, I got a lot of this content from him. I'm just going to go ahead and just out myself that this is not original. This is from him. It's trustworthy content. But he says this about appetite. Appetite is very much like a child. It's always clamoring for attention. It's about what our body or mind craves in a way that says, I don't trust that my father can give me a good life. I don't trust the identity he has for me. But I think this craving, this appetite at this moment will give me what I want since I'm not sure my father will. As you can see, appetite is often about control. And this can be any number of things, sex, food, obsessive body image issues that force you to the gym, TV, internet, Instagram. What do you crave in a way that controls you? What do you crave in a way that controls you? It's worth asking at this point, what about the Israelites in the desert? Their story is really powerful and is one to learn from because God provided for them every single day exactly what they needed, manna from heaven, shoes that never wore out, and they still found a way to create their own idols. They still found a way for their appetites to control them. How do we enter into a holy pattern of repentance with appetites? We begin to ask, what has power over me? What can I not live without? What role is it playing in my life? Where does self-indulgence kick in to give me permission? And that can sound a lot like this. It's okay, you've earned it. You had a hard day. Kick your feet up. Eat that entire three pieces of cake. Drink that wine. It can also sound like, it's okay. No one will ever know. No one will ever know. Once we have identified it, we have to start by getting curious with it and asking, why is that there? The old religious spirit would tell us to discipline it into shape. And that discipline is a part of it. But we will lose that battle if we don't ask why. Why is that there? And what am I hungry for? Don't miss that reflection piece on that. Moving on to verses 5 through 8. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus said, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This one's about ambition. This one's about ambition. Ambition is about success and believing the lie that I will never accomplish enough. I will never accomplish enough. 
What am I pursuing to feel successful and secure? What is motivating me towards this life of ambition? Ambition, and we hear, we hear the word authority that the devil uses in this passage. Ambition is closely connected to wanting power and authority. To be seen or known as one who has it all together, who knows the answers, who can lead flawlessly and effortlessly, who can sell millions and millions of dollars worth of houses or real estate. I mean, like, the list can be long in terms of ambition. Ambition has to do with being the best at fill in the blank. Doing the best, making a lot of money, mastering the art of any skill to be the best. Perfectionism is related to ambition more than we might think. The inability to stop and rest and and cease from being productive. Ambition keeps us from that. Wanting your name or recognition to be associated with success. Mike says this, ambition is really about an addiction to winning or having to be successful. And it isn't that winning or being successful is wrong. It's when we need it to give us our identity that it really creates problems. If I lose, if I don't get that promotion, if I don't get that raise, if I don't get that job, if that person doesn't want to date or marry me, if if another person beats me at a game, It's not that I have failed so much as I see myself as a failure. And that will become identity, failure. When the tempter has that, we are practically useless to God. We can't be agents of his kingdom when we are seeking our own successes first. We just can't. How do we enter into holy patterns of repentance that engage ambition? I hear this sometimes for people when we've talked about Sabbath. They're like, I can't do that. I can't. My life will not allow for that. One of the biggest battles, I made a list that I'll read to you, but I really think in terms of fighting ambition, Sabbath is your biggest sword. In fighting ambition, Sabbath is your biggest sword. It is the power. Other ways of fighting ambition, letting others lead us with freedom and permission for them to be themselves versus how I would do it. Taking on new hobbies for fun and not for mastery's sake. People with ambition in the room are like, Who would do that? (laughs) Becoming an active learner and not always being the one that has to be in charge or teach people or have the answers for people. It's an active submission is how you fight ambition. But don't lose the idea that Sabbath is truly the sword you yield against ambition. Learning to stop and rest and learning how to work out of that rest. Verses 9 through 13, the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, 
You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Two things here. One, the devil quotes scripture to Jesus out of Psalms, which is like the irony of ironies. He uses God's word against Jesus. And Jesus once again quotes Deuteronomy out of the history of Israel. The scriptures say you must not test the Lord your God. This is about affirmation or approval. This is about affirmation or approval, which is truly about significance. So even in the temptation, it speaks to the longing and the desire we have for significance. The lie we tend to believe here is, I will never be enough. So versus I can never do enough, this one's, I will never be enough. What am I pursuing to feel approved, affirmed, or accepted? What is motivating me towards a life of approval? What does the pursuit of approval look like? Looks like wanting others to tell us they approve of us. What, are, what we are doing or how we are doing. We want to know that we did a good job all the time. To be seen or acknowledged by someone significant to you. Parent, friend, teacher, leader, boss. Doing things for others so that they might do them for you. That is a sticky trap in approval. Being motivated to do things for others so that they might do them for you. To be seen, to be identified, to be acknowledged. Approval or affirmation. Our identity has come from somewhere outside of us. That's why naming our children is so important. Because that's a part of naming their identity the way God did with Jesus at his baptism. It can be easy to seek the approval of others in lots of ways and let what they say dictate how we see ourselves as either someone who is worth something or someone who isn't. So instead of resting and being confident as our father's child, which is an unshakable reality, we look for quick hits of affirmation. Social media totally plays into this. Totally plays into this. How do we step towards repentance in approval? The idea that we have to stop feeding the beast. So if you're living for social media responses, turn it off. Get rid of it. Lay it down. We stop asking for feedback on purpose. We learn and develop the skill of going to Jesus first before we ask anybody else what they think. Emmanuel journaling is an incredible key and tool for this. Learning to get the affirmation and confirmation from Jesus before we ever get it from a human person. Another way to do this, if you're going to go ask somebody for their approval, for their feedback, to develop the skill of asking for feedback, both on the positive encouragement side and the constructive growth side. Don't only limit it to the positive. I will say that needs to be with a trusted friend. Don't just do that with everybody. The fight for approval is a big one. And I will say that in any of the three of these, 
There might be one that's super strong for you. There might be seasons where you have different ones pop up. It's not just a one thing and this is my thing forever. These are alive in us throughout our entire life. Something we always have to be aware of. This week, I had just my own moment with Jesus. I love to write, and I've been in a really long, dry season, haven't felt inspired to, haven't felt like I could really find words to write, and for the first time in a really long time, I sort of had this Holy Spirit download moment where for like 30 minutes, I just wrote sort of this narrative about this entire discussion for my own life. So I wanted to share that with you this morning. I think anytime I'm teaching, um, it's always a battle to fight between like content that you want to give people and really being yourself and allowing your life to be a part of that story. So I want to share you share that this with you this morning. My encouragement to you is a couple things. First, as I read, maybe find a place that you connect. Is there something that, a part of my story, that helps you as you navigate naming which one of these things are alive in your life? And then second to that, as I read, to really try to reflect on, if you had to name one of the areas here, which one is it for you? Which one is it for you? I'm going to invite Travis to come up whenever he's ready. He's just going to play lightly in the background. I'm going to read this for us, and I'm going to invite us into a little bit of a prayer process so that you can attend to this this morning before we ever even leave the room. Are we good? Can you be in this with me? Thank you. When left to my own devices, I will always choose the path of least resistance. Like water on parched ground that is hard as concrete, the goodness of God cannot soak in when I've resisted him for any amount of time. The idea of holy patterns is holy resistance, swimming upstream of the world around me and letting God truly transform me in my daily life. Holy patterns are not rooted in performance and perfection, but in my heart's true home at the foot of the throne of my Father. The holiness of God is not something I can ever comprehend in my human perspective or terms. Human pursuit of holiness needs the bondage broken, like barnacles scraped from a boat that has sat in a harbor for way too long. I want freedom from the vision of a preacher in a three-piece suit, yelling and demanding I give up all things not Christian in order to be a true and holy Christian in this world. When I speak of the pursuit of holy patterns, it is not under the strict requirement that I remove all the secular things and myself from the world and culture. Holy patterns are the gateway for my human heart and mind to once again willingly submit all things under the authority of Christ and his leadership. Nothing is off limits to him. Holy patterns reveal to me how deeply ingrained my appetites are, how harassed I am by by the bully of ambition or success, and how deeply I love to have approval or significance. It is a way for me to step back from these habits and say, Jesus, tell me about that. Why is it there and how is it trying to benefit me? What would you say to that voice or that habit in my life? I grew up the first half of my life in the Catholic Church 
in which everything is deemed holy. Holy water, holy Eucharist, holy priest, holy Mary, holy pews, and holy confession. Lent was the epitome of the pursuit of holy patterns. No meat on Fridays during Lent. 40 days of deprivation from the vice that grips your life with the most power. Be it alcohol, sweets, sex, TV, movies, food, shopping, music, the internet, social media. Mine was always chocolate milk. I never understood as a second grader why I had to deprive myself of something I love so much. No one ever told me that part of the point, which had been lost in tradition and performance, was to reveal my own humanness and weakness and to remind me over those 40 days exactly why Jesus made the sacrifice he did. Instead, I learned to focus on how good or bad I was based on my ability to stick to the sacrifice I had made. If holy patterns can be holy resistance, what if the benefit to my soul has more to do with shutting down the harassment of the enemy in the world, silencing my own voice of my sacrifice, and making space for the peace of God to become my protector, provider, and identity holder precisely when I need it most. What if the point is to see him once again as he is, the son who cared so much about me knowing his father fully and completely that he paved the way to the foot of the throne via the foot of the cross? allowing me to be where my soul longs to be most, loved, comforted, accepted, and seen by God. Without Jesus, I will always choose my own way. I will always give in to my own appetites. I will always look to the wrong places for approval and protect my ambitions that declare I can do it myself. Holy patterns invite me again to submit my identity and my will to the true lordship of Jesus. He is never pushy about these things the way priests, prophets, or preachers are. He will always whisper to me with outstretched arms, you are welcome here. I have an aversion to holiness because I have made it synonymous with a religious spirit, an angry God, and the idea that I can't humanly hold on to an image of a loving father who also has an authentic presence that calls for purity and holiness, which can provoke thoughtful and authentic repentance on my part. I need holiness in my life. Otherwise, everything becomes permissible and somehow deceivingly beneficial. Why sneakily stealing my soul? My human heart demands human righteousness, what is right in my eyes, instead of choosing the path which will transform me. Transformation always comes with a cost and a change, a heart of repentance which says, I am here again, Father. Point out the places where I'm choosing to believe anything other than what's true. All I am and all I have is yours, and you can prune any of it. 
It's working up the soil of my heart so that the soaking grace and mercy of God can water the ground again. The holiness of God burns away that which does not belong, all that is not of Him. And like fire that tests, purifies, and strengthens gold, silver, and clay, so my true identity in Him is strengthened once again in the absence of all my anxious, clamoring thoughts and deeds. I just want to give you a few moments to reflect. You want to close your eyes. Just ask the Lord which one of these things has a presence in your life right now. things that come to mind particular appetites you might want to write those down as they do come to mind ask Jesus how do you practically begin to prune that is there a place of fasting that makes sense do you need a trusted friend to help you understand why that's there in your life and what role it's playing is it a bigger thing that might require extra support like counseling is the one you identify with this morning. I just want to give you the opportunity to turn your hands over. Just open on your lap. I want to pray specifically for you. As we entered into this place this morning, Lord, we remember in Romans 2, it tells us it's your kindness that is intended to lead us to repentance but firm each person this morning with their hands turned over submitted and willing to you with their appetites Father I ask for grace upon grace Father give them grace to ask the questions and to engage with you about these appetites Help them name what they are truly hungry for.
pray abundance of kindness over their lives, Father, that condemnation and shame has no place here. If your hands are turned over, just take a few breaths. Abba, I belong to you. In, Abba, out, I belong to you. if it's ambition just want to invite you to turn your hands over your hands might be turned over from the first one that's okay if ambition the need for success or accomplishing things rules your life just invite you to turn your hands over just in submission to Jesus say we speak to that this morning Father the need to perform the need for perfection We call that out. We say it has a place and a time, but if it's keeping us from you, we submit it back to you, Jesus. We submit it back to you, Jesus, and say that we want our successes to be defined by you. We want our successes to be defined by by the King. There is joy, there is freedom, there is life in that today. I just say to you this morning, if your hands are turned over, it's not about what you accomplish. It's not about what you accomplish. It's about who you are and who He's made you to be and who He says that you are his son, his daughter that is dearly loved and brings him great joy if you never do a single thing again. The last one, affirmation. That's the one for you. Affirmation, look for approval. Just invite you to turn your hands over this morning. Holy Spirit, we speak to the need for significance to matter, to be seen. We just remember you make us enough. You make us enough. Father, I pray for my friends with their hands turned over right now that they will be able to submit that need for significance to you. You would help them learn to come to you first, to come to their Father, that you can remind them of all they've inherited as a part of your kingdom, as a part of your family. They are significant in the kingdom of God.
just want to ask this morning if there's anybody in the room that really is in a place where they need to be prayed for. It's okay if there isn't, but if there is one, two, three, ten people, if you just want to put your hand in the air, and I'd love to get people around us to pray over you. It'll take bravery. I just want to create the opportunity if it's needed, if you just need to say, I need more than my own prayers on this one. We've got one up here. Anybody else that we just want to get around them? Anybody else? We've got one down here. If you want to stand up, that's for everybody. If there's anybody else, just put your hand in the air. We just want to get the people around you to come around you. Anybody else? This is your chance your chance if you need prayer and you want people to come around you put your hand in the air yeah so we've got one up here one in the back if you want to move towards those people just to participate in laying hands on them you can Father, we give you this moment. We thank you for the bravery of a few. And I ask now in this moment, you would meet them face to face with joy and pleasure in your heart to be with them. just want to leave a few moments. If you want to, those of you that are close to to somebody that you're laying hands on just to pray a few prayers out loud over them. It's a reminder to speak strength and comfort and encouragement. Go ahead and do that. else that wants to receive prayer and have a few people around this morning you can still put your hand in the air it's not too late Pray out loud over each of these people.
Father, we thank you for your presence that's here, that you are fully in tune with us. I ask that your spirit would minister and attend to these painful parts of us. If and when and where we don't know what to do, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Show us how to ask for help. Holy Spirit, we give this moment to you. We ask that you would continue what you started here, whether people asked for prayer or didn't in this moment. We know that you are at work here in each one of us. We pray protection over the work that you're doing, that the enemy's voice would be quieted, that we would identify the accuser in our lives, and that we would leave here filled with the power of the Spirit to do that without fear. We thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. want to invite you guys to um, take this with you this week spend some time in reflection over it maybe talk with somebody about it if you need to work through it it's always helpful to have others in our lives to do that together we will be back here next week at 10 a.m for a prayer sunday and thank you guys for your time this morning we'll see you next week To learn more about the Gathering Network, go to gatheringnetwork.org. Thanks for listening.